If you have your Bibles, if you'll do two things, uh, if you'll turn to uh, John chapter 18 this morning, and also if you will turn to Isaiah uh, 53 this morning, and we're going to begin um, uh, with Isaiah 53 uh, and then move over to the Gospel of John. And so this week and next week, we're going to be looking at uh, the passion of Christ and passions from this little tiny Latin word, P-A-T-I, pati. And it means to, to suffer. It, it means to uh, willingly enter into the suffering of another person. And when we look at the passion of Christ uh, in the Gospel of John, we're going to see that uh, it's going to go through 18 and chapter 19, and then we're going to come to the crucifixion and end up with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's just a glorious uh, display of God's love and his provision uh, for, for you and I to be set free from the power of sin and death. It's, it's glorious. And we're so grateful for the calendar because we celebrate that story, that truth, every, what season do we call it? How about Easter? Oh. <laughs> resurrection Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, from the dead. And so we're going to take um, these chapters a little bit differently. We're going to highlight the truth that's in the chapter, and then we're going to give you the main point. Just like last week, we, we had a different style of teaching. We had uh, three points and, and an application, uh, just kind of uh, looking at each text a, a little bit different way, and then we get back to our verse-by-verse -verse teaching. So this morning, we're going to look at all of chapter 18 into chapter 19. We're going to say, what's going on? What's the main point? And what you find, once you find the main point, you can find what for your life? You find how you apply it to your life. And so what's going on in the text? What's the main point? And how do we apply that uh, to our life? And uh, if you're uh, watching and want a set of notes, there's a set of notes available to you online. So can we pray? And then we'll get into our study this morning. Father, we thank you for this morning. Just a wonderful day. Beautiful sunrise this morning, Lord. And um, as we look at your word this morning, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would just speak to our hearts and encourage us uh, in the things of the Lord. Encourage us in Christ, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's one theme that's going to occur over and over again through the teaching today. I might ask a question or two, so I want to give you the answers in advance. And the answer is this, is that God in his in his passion, in his suffering for us to uh, give up his life on the cross. It is intentional. God's heart is to redeem a people unto himself. And it is an intentional act. It is a physical act. It is intentional. It is physical. And it's purposeful because he is sovereign over all things. And one way to illustrate that, God is purposeful, God is intentional, God is sovereign, is he does, he, he tells us what he's going to do, 
And then he does what? Then he does it. And what John, in John's gospel, he looks back to another gospel. How many gospels are there in the Bible? Four. Yeah, that's right, but I'm a heretic. And I think there's five, maybe. Because I look at Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, and I got, like, talked to this morning about calling Isaiah the gospel of Isaiah. But I think it really is the gospel of Isaiah because he's proclaiming what is to come. And then we have the gospel of John who gives us what? The fulfillment of that. Come with me to Isaiah chapter 53 and and see if you can't hear the gospel message that John's going to show us through the passion of Christ. Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form, he had no majesty that we should consider him. He had no beauty that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. Jesus, the Messiah, he was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs, Surely he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us, what? Peace. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generations who considered he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And what Isaiah looks forward to, John provides the historical record of the fulfillment of that. And what Isaiah looks forward to is not a mighty conquering king, which is what the Jewish people at the time expected and wanted, but he sent a suffering servant who would go to the cross, who would die on the cross, taking our sins there and making atonement for our sins, that as we express repentance and faith in Christ, his payment, his substitute for us, his atonement would be credited credited to us as righteousness and we would be pronounced not guilty, justified before God. 
cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, set free from the power of sin and death to live with him forever in heaven. That's the gospel. Isaiah looks forward to it. John records it. And when we come to John chapter 18, we see in 19 this morning, what we see a progression of events And we should remember these things. God is in control. He's powerful. He's working out his purposes for his people. He is sovereign over all things. And we can trust him that as he's suffered and died on the cross, taking our sins upon himself, that as we express faith and belief in his atoning work, we too will be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, set free from the power of sin and death and live with him forever in heaven. That's the message. It never changes. That's the gospel. So if you're listening for the first time, here's the message. God, say it with me. God so loved the world, he, that whoever would, but, You guys are brilliant. And that's the message that we as Christians proclaim in the midst of all times, every generation, every culture, every season, we proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the atoning work of the sins of mankind that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Ah! is what changes each heart, men, women, child, cleanses us from sin. We'll celebrate that at the Lord's table. How did that come about? Come with me to John chapter 18. We see the passion of Christ, his enduring suffering, so that he would take our sins to the cross. We begin it at John chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where he was, where there was a garden, which he and the disciples entered. And you know the rest of the verses, right? We've read them over and over again, Easter time. You've seen the movie, right? With Mel Brooks, you've seen it happen. That Jesus... On the night he was betrayed, you know, the, the, the night had come and Judas had arranged for the, the elders and the chief priests and a cohort or a group of soldiers to come to a place that the disciples frequently came to. Some Bible scholars would say this is a place where Jesus and the boys that they camped out from time to time because what was happening in Jerusalem at the time was the feast of what? The feast of Passover. And the place was thronged with people. And Judas determined he knew where Jesus would be. He knew where he was going. And so when we harmonize the other gospel, we know that Judas came there with, with the soldiers with lanterns and, and uh, weapons. They came to arrest a rabbi who never was violent at all. And Judas comes up to him, and, he, and he, on the cheek of Jesus, he does what? 
He kisses them. And all through that, the soldiers are coming. And what does Jesus do? Jesus steps into the light of the torches. And they're asking him, where is Jesus of Nazareth? And what's Jesus' response? Uses the language of deity, right? And he says, I am. And then Judas comes and gives Jesus a kiss. And they bound Jesus and they arrest Jesus. And in the middle of that, Peter takes out his pistol. I mean, his, his little sword. And he says, oh no. And he goes, and he cuts off the guy's ear, right? And what does Jesus do? Puts the ear back on. That's amazing. And then they, they bind him and arrest him and, they, and then they, 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 they bring him to Annas. What's the message there? I am that God is, that Jesus is God himself and that he is in control of all events. Why does Jesus step out from the disciples into the light? Because no man is taking his life. He is what? He's giving his life. Who's he giving his life for? For you, for me. That they didn't come, they came with torches and weapons. Old Peter boy, Jesus said, back on there, knock it off, Peter. Steps into the light and willingly, willingly gives his life for you and I. God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. Things look bleak in the garden, but Jesus is intentional and purposeful to complete the Father's plan to go to be an atoning sacrifice. As John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Isaiah says he was like a lamb taken to the shears, taken to the slaughter, willingly giving up his life. When we come back to John chapter 18, we see in verse 12, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Now, a little historical context here. There's, why do they take him to Annas? Why not to Caiaphas? Isn't Caiaphas the high priest? And once again, what we see here is the sovereignty of God in control of all things. Is Caiaphas really the high priest? I would say no. Annas is the high priest. He was appointed for lifetime service to God. And the soldiers bring him to Annas because Caiaphas, Annas was disposed, deposed by the Romans, and so they put a yes man in. And so the soldiers bring him to the Jewish tribunals, and Annas makes the decision, this man's a dead man. He's going to give up his life for the country. He's causing us to lose hope in a Messiah who will deliver us from Roman occupation. And Jesus 
willingly submits to that process because he's in control. Now, in the midst of this, in the midst of this dialogue, we have something fascinating happen. Come with, the, come with me to the text in verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. We, we think that's John, but we're not sure. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Come with me to, say, Luke, and we'll look at Luke 22 for a minute. And look at Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Jesus is talking. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Satan demanded to have you. That he might sift you like wheat. Jesus is speaking. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Come back to John with me. Simon Peter followed Jesus. So did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you are not one of this man's disciples. Expecting a positive reply. Are you not? And what does Peter do? He denies the Lord. A second time, Peter's asked, hey, are you one of the disciples? What does Peter say? No, not me. A third time, Peter's question, are you one of the disciples? What does Peter say? No, not me. What happens next? The rooster crows. And what happens to Peter? Luke, when we harmonize the gospel, what does Luke tell us that happened, what was Peter's response? He wept bitterly. Thematically, just as well as we look at Isaiah 53 and we see the fulfillment where? John chapter 18, John chapter 19. Thematically, we look at Luke, who records the words of Jesus, you're going to deny me three times, right? And we look at John, and what do we see? The fulfillment of that. What can we draw from the text? God is sovereign. God is in control. God is purposeful. God is intentional. So here, let me help you become a, a, a Bible scholar. What's the application to your life? God is purposeful. He's intentional. He's kind. He tells us 
tells Peter what's going to happen in advance. It happens. So what's the application for our life? Peter, his character, we could say Peter, we could define it simply, Peter was a mess. He was prideful. He was full of himself. Oh, no, I will go to death. I will drink the cup. I will give, I will defend you. He takes out his little pistol, I mean, little sword. Peter needed to be what? Sifted. Why? So that he could become and fulfill all the purposes that Christ had for him, which was when Jesus died on the cross, Peter would be the one that would come. When the church was birthed, Peter would be the one to speak and encourage the disciples to keep on pursuing Christ. What is the application for your life? The application for my life is, is I need to be sifted because there's stuff in me that doesn't help me become the person that Jesus wants me to be. And when I go through difficulties in life, I can either fight against it or I can say, Lord, change my heart and change my life. And what we know from Peter is that the Lord's going to come to him and say, hey, Peter, I know you said the heck with the mission and you've gone fishing, but do you love me, Peter? Oh, yes, Lord. And then for every denial, there's a place of healing and restoration in Peter's life so he could be the man that God called him to be. What's God doing in your life today? What sifting are you going through that you're fighting against? What does God want to change in your life so that you could be the person God has destined you to be? I'll give you a little secret. The truest identity that we have as believers is who we are in Christ. Who God calls us to be. Redeemed, set free, adopted, loved by God, his children, his son, his daughter. That's who we really are. And all the world and all the sin in our hearts and lives fights to keep us from that. The greatest part of the narrative is that Jesus tells Peter, Satan wants you. He wants to sift you. But what? But Jesus says, I have prayed for you. Who sits at the right hand of the Father right now? Who makes intercession for the saints? Who desires you to be set free? Who desires you to become the very best person this side of heaven that you could ever hope to be? That's my Jesus. That's my God. That's who I know. That's who convicts me of sin. Do you want to be the best you can be this side of heaven? Most days I say yes. 
Some days I say what? No, I don't want it. Are you like that? Because that's where the transformation happens. Transformation happens in the midst of sifting. We say, yes, God. Yes, change my life. Yes, change my heart. Yes, change my attitude. Peter, through the passion of Christ, through Christ's intentional suffering, became the man that God had destined to be. When we look at the text, come back to 18 with me. We go back to 1828. And then they led, they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. And Caiaphas is going to say, I can't, I can't get what I want. So he's going to send him to who? He's going to send him to Pilate. And why couldn't Caiaphas get what he wanted? Because the Jews could execute people, right? Remember Acts chapter 7 and Stephen, how he offended the Hellenists, the Jewish believers in the synagogues from Greek background and Worshipping in the synagogues around Jerusalem, he offended them. And he offended them on three deep levels, Stephen did. He offended their idea about the land, the law, and the temple. And if you read Hebrews, which the Nashua group is studying, is the land, the law, and the temple all pointed as a type and a shadow to a person. And who's that person? Jesus. The Jews hoped in the land, in the temple, in the sacrifices, and all that found fulfillment. That's the book of Hebrews. All found fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And what did they do to Stephen? They stoned him to what? To death. Caiaphas was like, oh, I want to do much more than that. But I need help. So he sends him to Pilate. Because Pilate had the authority to nail Jesus to a tree, to a cross, and become, become the bearer, the sin bearer, and because he was nailed, Deuteronomy, because he was nailed to a tree, he, Caiaphas was thinking that he would be cursed by God. Once again, God is in control. He's sovereign. Why? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. To why? To suffer. To die. To go to the cross. To take our sins to the cross. To pay the penalty for sin so that we would not have to pay that penalty. And what we see in his engagement with Pilate in 19 verse 4, Pilate went out again and said to them, see, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find what? He's an innocent man. Back to Isaiah. It's like a lamb who's led to the slaughter. He doesn't cry out. Doesn't try to save himself. 
but willingly gives his life. And John the Baptist says what? Behold, the Lamb of God, sacrificed from the foundation of the world for your sin and my sin. Why the passion of Christ? Why the narrative in John about his sufferings and the brutality of the crucifixion? Is John wants us to know that Isaiah 53 is fulfilled. God wants us to know that he is sovereign, that he is working a plan. That plan is intentional. That plan is purposeful. That plan has an outcome, which is the salvation of all those who will call upon the name of the Lord. For the Lord, Jesus himself, went to the cross, taking our sins with him, being cursed on the tree so that you and I could step into who we are in Christ, be justified, pronounced not guilty, be clean before God and walk in his joy and his peace and to live with him forever. What's the message that our culture needs to hear today? What's the, what's the message that has gone from, from generation to generation all the way from when Isaiah prophesied 700 years before the coming of the Christ? What's the message our culture needs to hear today? What's the message that will transform people's hearts and lives and give them hope and joy and eternal life? What's the message that, that, that would turn the world upside down? Is it a political message? No. That's what the, Rome, that's what the Jews wanted. They wanted a political message. And what was God's message? I've sent my son because I love you. I've sent my son to take all sin, to become a curse, to, to be despised and rejected, to go as a lamb before the slaughter so that sin, sin and the penalty could be paid for so that you and I could have eternal life. The message that we have as Christians is that, yeah, we're not, we're not that clean. We're not that smart. We're not that holy. Yeah, we can be a hypocrite. Yeah, we sin. But we have a Redeemer who cleanses us from all that sin, who cleanses us from all that inequity, who by his giving of his own life and the shedding of his blood has cleansed us and pronounced us not guilty. And because of that, we have forgiveness of sin and we have the joy of the Lord in our heart. And we have the security of knowing that nothing shall remove us from the love of God. Christian, is that in your heart? If it is, step into that. And when the circumstances of life come, find security, find hope, and find joy 
in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You say amen? We get to close this morning by celebrating the Lord's table. We invite you to take a moment and prepare your heart to do that if you're worshiping with us at home. Take a moment, go before the Lord. It's a powerful message out of Isaiah and John that we are cleansed from our sin, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And as we confess our sin and invite Christ, he'll forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so we can live with him forever. And so take a moment and step into that and prepare your heart to receive the Lord's table this morning.